Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Hey, Joe Anderson here with Big Al Clopine. Welcome to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, great show lined up, and that's always um, by, subject by by whose standards? Joe? Sub- subject by to, your standard? Subject to criticism. Great, great show, according to Joe Anderson. Oh, I always hate that. I can't believe I said that. Whatever. It's going to be an okay show. All right, well, that's more. But honest. I am pretty excited. We got a great guest, Joe. Yes. So see hi. Yes. And I'll tell you a little bit of story about him. But if you haven't heard of the podcast Stacking Benjamin, uh, he's the host and the creator of that podcast. It's a personal finance pos- uh, podcast. Uh, so we'll have him joining us a little bit about the genesis of why he started it. Well, that sounds great. And then we'll, of course, get into your email questions and um, a couple of other things on the docket. You know what? We got just a few more days, Alan, until we find out who our next president is going to be. That is true. And that's on the minds of a lot of people over the weekend. And so what should they do with their portfolios? Should they sell out? Did, they, did you sell out on Friday? Are you going to sell out on Monday? What are you going to do? That's a great question. What are you going to do, Alan? Are I'm, you, are you going gonna, to gold? <laughs> no. No, as a matter of fact, I think you'll probably get into stats in a, in a bit probably. But uh, no, you're going you're gonna to stay put. You're going you're gonna to have the right investment strategy and stick with it. It's going to be some volatility from of now until co- the end of the year. Of course. And so what volatility is, is fluctuations of market pricing. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go to zero, right? So it's already, you know, it's funny. It's it, People are emotional, and me included, right? And so when we hear different things, right, it's like, okay, is Trump going to get in? Is Hillary going to get in? And anytime it seems like people hear those two names, <laughs> one either smiles or, or cringes, you know? It's, and well, I think or, most of it is a cringe. I know. Usually there's anger, no matter what name you say. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll probably never say those names. So that's it. That's the last time. Oh, yeah. I want to get into um, some government pension plans. Uh, here was a headline that kind of caught my eye, Alan. Government pension plans are headed for disaster. Really? Does that, that sounds sensational. What do you think? This is uh, by Robert Thilner. We have a Filner, didn't we? Have uh, yeah, a mayor. <laughs> mayor here in San Diego. No longer. Uh, the combined debt held by U.S. public pension plans top $1.7 trillion uh, by next year, according to just-released report uh, from Moody's Investment Services. They call it the pension Tsunami. Oh, boy. Okay. You, really? <laughs> and you're reading this? This is our top, top news story this of the week? This is the top news story of the week. <laughs> but here's the problem with, all right, so you got public pension plans and private pension plans. And sometimes they play by different rules there, Clopine. I don't sure. know if you are familiar with this. Well, educate me. So let's first of all talk about what the heck a pension plan is. Okay. Right? So there's a defined contribution plan and there's a defined benefit plan. A defined contribution plan is a 401k, a 403b, a TSP. The, the, the contribution is defined. All right, so the employee does a contribution. You got it. And then if you have a 401k with a match, well, then the employer will put in a little bit of buck right, in, into the overall plan to match your contribution. Makes sense. And so there's limits on the contributions. Right. So IRAs, for instance, $5,500 per person, 
Uh, that's IRA or Roth IRA. And then if you're over 50, you get a $1,000 catch-up. And they just came out for 2017, folks. All right, so check this out. They have not changed. <laughs> so next year, you get to put in $5,500 in 65 if you're over 50. So that's the contribution. 401ks or, or, or employer-sponsored plans, that contribution limit is 18000 And then if you're over 50, you can put up to $24,000. Either pre-tax as a 401k contribution, or if you have a Roth provision in your plan, you can go after tax. The total amount that you can put into a defined contribution plan is $53,000 for 2016 and uh, next year. I think it's going to be fifty four thousand. Oh, okay, that's right off the press. Huh? I, yeah. I hadn't even seen Hot. that. Now, if you are over fifty and older, it's actually fifty nine thousand five hundred. You I get believe. a little bit more of a catch. Yeah, up. a little catch up on that one too. And so, there's other types of plans. There's a set plan for you self employed individuals. There's a simple plan, right? So there's other types of retirement plans. The Myra, right? Keo plans. I don't think Keos um, exist that much or new plans. You can't. Uh, but th- th- there's old existing plans. Right. But this is um, looking at there, are, and then the defined benefit plan works like this: is that you work for, let's say, the government, okay, or if you work for um, a private company that has a defined benefit plan, the benefit is defined for you, right? So if I work for a company for thirty years, right, and then I'm age sixty-five, and then they look at what my highest maybe three years of earnings are, and they do a calculation, and they say, okay, Alan. You worked for the company for 30 years, you're 65 years of age, and you made $100,000 your last three years. Here's the formula. You're going to get $60,000 for the rest of your life. The benefit is defined based on years of service, your age, and then your income. And so they take a look at that formula. The major differences between both of these plans is the defined contribution plan, your 401k plan, you basically have full control over the money in a sense, that you could pick your investments. You can take on a lot of risk, very little risk. You could diversify the portfolio how you see fit given your specific goals. Once you leave that organization, you can take that money, roll it into your own individual retirement account, move it into your new employer's plan. You have an account number, right? A defined benefit plan does not work like that. The company or the, the, the pension itself, right? They have an investment committee and then they can see fit how they want to invest those dollars because they look at this pool of money. There's actuarial tables involved and they'll say, we have so many employees. They're putting X amount of dollars in. Here's the average life expectancy. We're going to assume certain rates of return and then we should have, you know, here's the contribution limits and this should um, have enough money in the pool, right? To pay these employees for the next 20, 30 years. The problem with some of these defined benefit plans and why there is $1.7 trillion underfunded in a, is that the, the assumptions that they're using were a little off, little off. Right. Well, and Joe, that's partly because interest rates are so low. So when, thing, when things change, then they recalibrate the assumptions and, and sometimes it's not going to be quite as bad. I mean, th- these things kind of jump around, but I will say, I do agree with the premise of the article, which is a lot of, uh, a, a lot of pension plans are underfunded. So the article goes on to say there are three primary culprits that can be found in nearly every state suffering from a public pension crisis. Uh, Number one, the use of accounting gimmicks that are designed to shift costs onto future generations. An approach outlawed for private pension plans and rejected by both public and private plans in Canada and Europe. So they got a little um, little funny business going on in the numbers here. It's like, hey, I'm retiring soon. I'm on the committee. Let's not. Let's just kind of kick this thing down the road. Right. Let, let the next generation worry about it. Number two, lawmakers acting in their political self-interest 
who have catered to the past demands of government unions to enrich the members benefit while passing the costs onto future generations. So it's kind of the same story there, sure. right? And a broken uh, structure where public pension board members are actually penalized in tangible ways for acting responsible and are rewarded for choosing to delay the day of reckoning. Wow. Wow, look okay. at the language <laughs> in this article here. <laughs> Whew. So this is actually came from CalPERS, right? Um, so... The former chief actuary in the nation's largest public pension plan, Kelpers, that's right where we live here in California, who noted simply that politics and pensions just don't mix. Ah. So they're saying, hey, you know what? Um, let's just kind of kick this thing down the road. So here, you know, there's several different um, economists that speak about this, um, financial experts and financial advisors. And the problem is that when someone has a pension, Okay, then they're looking at, all right, well, I'm safe. I don't necessarily need to save. Right? How many times have we seen that with people that have a large pension that's coming to them? Yeah, and, frequently. And they have very little saved anywhere else. Right. Because it's like, well, I have this pension that's going to pay me X. Well, that, that is my savings. Right. right. And you have to be careful with this, right? Because you never know when the balls are going to drop. And I'm not saying it's going to blow up and you're not going to have a pension plan. But you can't just put all your eggs in one basket. Nice segue to a you know, financial planning topic here. <laughs> so, Well, I, I agree with that, Joe, because really when you think about it, so most of these pension plans will probably be just fine. But we know from experience, like United Airlines, for example, 10, 15 years ago, they had a big change in their pension, and the benefits paid out were a lot lower than were promised. And so I guess the point is you don't have any control over these defined benefit plans. Right, and this is for PERS. This is this guy's from Nevada, and he goes, the trouble in Nevada is that you know the, the pension plan had failed to um, reach investment targets for the past 5, 10, 15, 20, 25-year periods. Uh, they were assuming an 8% um, annualized rate of return on the overall pension. So you, you got to take a look a little bit deeper. Al and I went on a tirade for, what, about a month on the right the city of San Diego's pension plan and how much risk that they were actually taking on, and no one really understood what the inner workings are of some of these plans. So anyway, if that doesn't scare you, I'm sorry, Halloween is over. <laughs> uh, but it's time to get prepared. So if you need any help, you can always go to our website at purefinancial.com. we got a, a wonderful exciting show lined up so don't go anywhere show's called your money your wealth this is your money your wealth on talk radio 760 kfmb hey welcome back to the show show's called your money your wealth uh, my name is joe anderson i'm a certified financial planner i'm with alan clopine he is a cpa uh check us out online at purefinancial.com purefinancial.com uh december 6th uh 10 a.m 12 noon Mission Valley shared in San Diego, and then uh, the Saturday, I don't That's know the day. December 10th. December 10th, we're at Orange Coast College in Orange County. Uh, we're doing our end-of-year tax planning workshop, so this could be a little uh, exciting, right? With, yeah, with the election with the election, and potential and changes. Um, and I wouldn't get too ramped up here because it's like, okay, d d depending on what party gets in, right, or what candidate gets in, takes an act of God, right, to, 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 make to, 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 to get anything, to move the needle either direction. And, and particularly right now, Joe, because of the way the Congress and Senate are and the way that the parties are, are basically estranged from each other and they can't seem to compromise. So you can have whatever president in office that happens to win and it's hard to get much done. And, and even if they do, it can take years for this to happen. 
Um, I have eight mistakes that can sabotage your retirement, Alan. You do? I do. Okay. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly because I'm sure none of you have ever heard any of these before. <laughs> but our crack research team here at Pure Financial Advisors, um, they really give us some good material for this radio show. Well, and I've got seven scary retirement moves, so okay, maybe, maybe so these are related. <laughs> we got 15 in the bag. So stick around for the next two hours because we're going to just talk about really good stuff. Mistake one, failing to plan for medical expenses. Oh, yeah, that's a big one, Joe. We, we hear from Fidelity each year for a 65-year-old couple. The average out-of-pocket medical cost uh, is about $250,000. Yeah, but here's the other thing with that stat that freaks people out, and which it maybe shouldn't. Because that two hundred fifty thousand dollars, right? So you're thinking, oh my God, I need two hundred fifty thousand. I need a pile of money, right? right. Yes, I need a, an additional two hundred fifty thousand dollars set aside, right? Right. Well, it depends on life expectancy, how long that you live, and then you're going to pay another five to ten thousand dollars if you're really sick, to maybe a, a few thousand dollars if you're fairly healthy on an annual basis. Right. And they take a look at an average of the whole. So yeah, you got some really healthy people, you got some people that are not necessarily so healthy, and they look at how much money that they're spending out of pocket over their retirement. So if I'm 65, life expectancy is age 85, and then they, you know, they take a look at that big number. Yeah, that, that's true. That's a good way to say it, Joe. So they could take some of their Social Security, of a little course. bit of savings to, to cover Yeah, this. so probably a less spooky way to say that is if the average medical out-of-pocket is, let's say, $5,000 a year for someone age 65 and a couple, that's 10000 a year. And if they live 25 years between them, that's, there's your 250000 So this is how that works. But you're very right, Joe, because a lot of people say that as scare tactics. And it's important to know that. Obviously, people know that we have more medical issues as we get older. But just prepare for it. Right. And we're living longer, but not the stat that you shared with us last week is actually our life expectancy went down. Well, uh, interestingly enough, according to the Society of Actuaries, at least for this last year, it didn't go down much, a couple months for um, males and females. But uh, in general, we are living longer, and so you do need to have a plan for, for medical expenses. I will say one thing, Joe, is that that fidelity stat does not include long-term care. So you got to have a plan right. for that, well, too. Well, long-term care will definitely you know blow someone up. Sure. And there's a large chance that you know one spouse will need some sort of care over their lifetime. Right. Um, and it, it may be minor, but it, it, may, yes, it exactly. may be major, right? Right. Well, so then it's just being prepared for that. Right. Where's that money going to come from? What's the overall right. strategy? Who's going to take care of you? Sure. Right. Do you have? Do you want to? You know, um, transfer that risk to insurance. Right. Uh, another mistake: underestimating costs. Oh boy, yeah. Well, that's. I'd say that's probably at the top of the list. You got it right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we talk to people. How much do you spend? Oh, let me see. I think about uh, two thousand dollars a month. And we ask them, well, what are you making in salary? Well, I don't know. We're making about 150000 after all the taxes are withhold, about $100,000. All right, so how much do you save? Oh, we don't save a penny. Well, then you're spending 100000 right? not 24000 So it's just kind of getting a grip on it. Right. right? Just having just a, a little, little, little reality check. A little bit. A yeah. little bit. A little bit. And it's all right. If you like to spend money, spend money. Yeah, there's right? no problem. Hey, I mean, yeah. just, just make sure that it fits in with your income and your assets, right? Because, I mean, we see people that uh, have $10 bucks and they're in, very much in danger of running out of they'll, money. They'll go broke. Just because very, they're very spending quickly. so much. You so there's it. a ratio between spending and income, retirement income, and the assets that you have. Here's um, something. Celebrating retiring with a big purchase. Oh, that's a mistake? Yeah. I want to do that. Well, you, well, all right. Hey, I'm done. I retired. I finally, I got to go on that round-the-world vacation. Yeah. $100,000. Oh. So they're saying not to do that. Huh? You know, I, I've, I've heard, yeah, this happens a few times, right? You get the RV. Yeah. Right? 
You get the fifth wheel, right? I don't even know what a fifth wheel is, but I hear it all the time. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take my fifth wheel out. I'm like, I don't even know what a fifth wheel is. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do you, come on now. <laughs> Are you going to get a fifth wheel? I think it's like a, a, a camper, isn't it? I, I think. Yep. I, uh, I don't, I'm not much of a motorhome type of guy. But I think what you're going to say is people, they, they, they dream about traveling the country for two years and they do it for a month. It's like, uh, I don't think this is any fun. Right, but you have to be careful. Is that all right? Well, maybe take a little, uh, like a silent period, right? After you retire, don't do anything drastic. Don't spend, a, right? Just kind of ease your way into it. Do a little dry run through before you even retire. What are you going to do, right? Got because it. one of the bigger things is not necessarily the, do- uh, the dollars and cents. Uh, of course, that's a huge issue. Uh, because a lot of individuals don't have enough saved for retirement. But then it's like, what are you going to do in retirement? Right. right. That right. is huge. Right. So, um, yeah. Hey, you know, the, I guess the company doesn't give me a gold watch anymore. So I'm going to. Going to go buy one. Buy, <laughs> yes, exactly. Buy Rolex. <laughs> I'm going to buy myself a Rolex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, mistake number four, helping out adult kids. Oh, right up Alan Copine's <laughs> alley. Right there. Yeah, we're actually pretty good. Both kids are now out of the house. Okay. All right. But you're paying their mortgage. No, <laughs> I'm paying. Uh, I'm paying Ryan's cell phone. Yes, if I can't get them out of the house, I'm just gonna buy them a house. Paying Ryan's cell phone and Ryan's car insurance, and that's it. Nothing else. Yeah, you have to make sure you pay yourself first, and that means you, not necessarily the family. Yes. Right. So it's. I understand that you love your kids, and you know they. But sometimes you have to take care of yourself. Uh, claiming Social Security too soon, Alan. This is another mm. mistake. Agree. I agree with that. But I heard this, and I was listening um, to uh, another podcast, and uh, this individual wrote a book, and he was talking about Social Security. And, he's, and his advice is like, hey, if you got a lot of money, right, take it as soon as you can get it. Right? It's, and that's like the opposite advice that we usually give sure. on this show. Uh, just because you get the delayed retirement credits sure. and then the taxation of Social Security and everything else, but I think because of election time, you know, yeah. people are like they're, they're worried. Yeah, they're skeptical. Is, yeah. you know, sure. hey, the government is going to do this to us and that to I us, understand. and that might be absolutely true. And you might call me naive, and I'm fine with that because <laughs> <laughs> we're not here. Like, call me naive. But, I mean, I look at my planning as what the law states today, and then I have a little bit of faith in some, you know, hum- humanity. Yeah, but, yeah, things could change. So they're saying, hey, you know, if you've got a couple million bucks, right, you take your Social Security because it's going to get means tested and everything else. It's like, well, Alan, you've got a, plenty of income. Well, you don't need your Social Security income, so we're going to give it to someone else. Yeah, and that is that is possible. I like how uh, <laughs> short and sweet. And then well, here's, thought, little, thought, um, <laughs> here's a good one, Al. Forgetting about the tax man. Forgetting about the tax man. Oh, that is a big one, Joe. And gosh, that's probably, besides overspending or not knowing what spending is, that's probably one of the biggest things out there. Because in when it comes to retirement, you got to pull money out of your IRAs, your 401ks, and you pay taxes on that. A lot of people don't realize that. And in many cases, when you've done a great job saving, you're in a higher tax bracket, even than when you're working because of that required minimum distribution now back to your money your wealth on talk radio 760 kfmb hey welcome back to the program show's called your money your wealth joe anderson here i'm a certified financial planner with alan copine he's a cpa go to our website at purefinancial.com learn a lot more than you'll ever learn from this show (laughs) on our website well again that's a biased statement since we created the website (laughs) well um, but the content on the 
yeah, website. It's, well, it's not. It's our shows. <laughs> it's, not, it's not our doing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's our. It's it's a rehash of our shows, our uh, TV shows. So, yeah, oh, it's the goodness. same old thing all over again. No, it's actually pretty good. You know what? We have uh, what at last count over three hundred videos on our website, and we have uh, what we call questions of the week. Advisors will answer your questions and. Probably a, a financial planning question that you have, you go to the website and there will be the answer. Hey, Deb, can you verify that? I think it's 400, but Alan's saying 300. I said at least, remember? Yeah, I know. That's what we, we had to get in that old argument last week, too, because of compliance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you got busted one time yeah, for, the, for the, the, the book, the yeah, class the book. book so, when you said there was like 270 pages and it turned out there's like 261. So, our firm, Pure Financial Advisors, uh, we are a registered investment advisor. Um, we are registered through the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Right. Uh, we don't sell any products. There's no commission. We act as a fiduciary 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, and our firm um, got audited, right? And most firms, oh, it's, you know, the, as, as you get to a certain size, yeah. you know, then the SEC just audits, hey, are you guys doing everything okay? Yeah, they pretty much else. audit everybody, which, which they should. Right. And so it was our turn to get audited. So they come in and, you know, they go through everything and take a look. And here's the one thing they found. Right? We have a lot of clients. We manage a lot of money. But I said on the radio about this book that you get like 278 pages. But the what, it was 269. Something like that. So, so you... <laughs> I, I don't say page numbers anymore. You get a book. <laughs> See? They slapped your head. Yeah. We were squeaky, squeaky clean. We were squeaky clean. Which, and that's uh, how it should be because right. you know, we, we try to do the absolute best for the client every single day. Right. So and that that's why you know that's why I'll, I can say we have at least three hundred videos because I know we have more. Oh. I'm right. Oh. I'm I'm protected. Well, go to the YouTube channel, <laughs> and then it will say right there on the YouTube channel. We should do that. We, we we've been saying this for months. I we got, should I actually, got our producer. She's, she's looking at she's, it. She's, she's going to give us the count. She's on it. Okay. So all right, well, you got seven deadly secrets of the. <laughs> well. We just had Halloween, so this that's hence the seven scariest retirement moves. See if any of these resonate with you, Joe, and our listeners. Holding most of your retirement funds in a single company stock. What do you think of that? Scary. The, oh, frightening. <laughs> Remember Enron? Yeah. Well, Remember WorldCom? <laughs> that's... Here. Here, here's the, the the problem I think with that because there's a lot of you out there that hold a, a majority of your four hundred one k is in your company stock. And I get it. You work for the company. You've been there 30, 40 years. Like my grandmother, right? When uh, she passed, I was the uh, successor trustee. And my grandfather worked for GE for many, many, many years. Right. right? And so they had a lot of uh, General Electric stock. And I was like, well, maybe you should potentially diversify. Right. And my grandmother almost slapped me in the face. She's like, you know what GE meant to this family? Right. Right. Are you, you know, you're, the not, dividends you're not patriotic. And, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> But I get it. I understand that. But here's yeah. the problem. Let's say if I'm still working for a company and then I have all my money in company stock inside my 401k plan, or maybe it's heavily weighted in company stock, and maybe I might have a pension with that same company. So everything is betting on that company. So my 401k plan, my pension plan, and my employment. Yeah, and maybe you've got stock options, maybe. On top of right? that, right. Company stock options. So we're not saying don't hold your company stock, but you you got to be a little bit careful there. Uh, diversification is the only free lunch in town, and you want to make sure that, hey, if that company blows up, which of course you're thinking it never will, but it could, right? What's that going to do to you, you, your overall family? Yeah, now I will say one thing, Joe, and that is if you own a lot of your company stock 
in a 401k and you're getting close to retiring, right? There's this, this uh, strategy called net unrealized depreciation where when you retire, and as long as you're over 55 years of age, you can then take that company stock, put it into your regular brokerage account. You will pay ordinary income taxes on your original cost basis. In other words, what you paid for Right, it, so let's say you bought the stock for a dollar and it's worth $10 a share today. Sure. So you move the whole stock out of the retirement account, you pay tax on the $1, and then the $9 of appreciation, then it's taxed at a lot lower rate. It's taxed at a capital gains rate. And this is a fantastic strategy for those that have a lot in their retirement accounts. You have a lot of company stock. So I don't want to tell you not to own company. I don't want you to sell all your company stock and then you retire tomorrow tomorrow, right. and you miss this huge strategy. Yeah, if you do have company stock and you're heavily weighted there, before you diversify out, just make sure that you understand net unrealized appreciation. Right. And then if you do want to diversify, then you want to take a look at the block shares of what you can diversify because you want to keep the lower basis stock inside the plan, right? The ones that you purchased 30 years ago, not the ones that you just purchased, you know, within your last paycheck. Yeah, I, uh, I actually just recently met with somebody. They had uh, mil- hypothetically. Mi- hypothetically millions of dollars in their 401k. Allegedly. Allegedly, for compliance reasons. So I'm just going to make up a number, right, just to give you an example. But so let's say they had $3 million of their company stock, which in some cases, if you've been with a company long enough and it's like a life sciences company that's done well, that's possible. And the cost basis was, let's call it 300000 So the strategy is if you move the entire net unrealized appreciation out into your brokerage account, you will pay taxes on the $300,000. But that $2.7 million of gain, first of all, you pay no taxes on it until you actually sell those shares. Secondly, when you sell the shares, you're paying a a capital gains rate, which if you think of the highest ordinary income tax rate is 39.6. The highest capital gains rate is 20%. Plus NI tax. Yes, I'm oversimplifying, and there's California and all, all this stuff, so it's not quite that simple. But the point is you can pay a lot less taxes by doing this this uh, this strategy right and then think of it like this because all right so look, look let's say you're planning on retiring and you have a large sum of money and company stock inside your 401k plan and then you're thinking okay well what do I do here do I keep it in the plan nope let's move it out so you move out and Al's example it's three million bucks you pay tax on three hundred thousand dollars plus whatever your salary is for the year so that's a big tax bill but I'm telling you, you will save hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxes long term if you do this right. Because now I have all this money in a taxable pool, which is tax at capital gains rate. Sure. And let's say the next year you're retired, you don't have any income. You push out your Social Security. And then you start selling some of the shares next year, right? You could sell up to about $75,000 if you're married, 40000 roughly if you're single, tax-free out of that account. Right. Because there is no capital gains tax rate for people that are in the 10 or 15% tax bracket. Right, as long as their income stays below that level. Be, be below that now, level. Just, just to be clear, if you have $100,000 of income, then in in this example, 75,000 would be tax-free and 25,000 would be taxed at 15%. But yeah, that's a that's a big deal, Joe. And and one other thing in that regard is this, uh, in this hypothetical situation, if this person was charitable, what they might want to do is, and they're going to have $300,000 of extra income, right? They might want to have a charitable contribution, let's just say of 300000 so they don't have any ordinary income. Then they can sell as much capital gain as they want, as much gain, and pay only at the capital gains tax rate. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. 
Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. Uh, Joe Anderson here, Certified Financial Planner, Big Al Clopine, right next to me. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Go to purefinancial.com, purefinancial.com. Um, we're talking about, what, the seven deadly seven, secrets? Seven scariest retirement moves. I guess this is because of Halloween and uh, Halloween Joe. So I had uh, trick-or-treaters, several, come to the house. And you, I'm sure you went to a costume party. You probably, what, Chewbacca, maybe? <laughs> 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 you, you would be good at that, I yeah. think. Wow. That would be a great costume, though. <laughs> it would. That would be the only costume I would ever wear. You should wear it to the office. Just because I'm, what, six, four and a half? You, you, could, you could pull it off. I could. <laughs> yeah. So, seven scariest retirement moves thinking that home equity will bail out you bail you out in retirement. Having almost saved nothing in your 401k and hoping that you can tap your home retirement, home equity in retirement. Think again, because many housing markets haven't recovered from 2008. Well, you know what? We are broadcasting in Southern California. Our markets have recovered. But I do think it's a good point. I think your home equity, certainly that is something that you can utilize. If you want to downsize, you can think about a reverse mortgage. There's ways to tap into it. But I wouldn't consider that to be the best in, uh, retirement asset. You know, it's funny because we see individuals that come into our office, hypothetically, and they say, you know what, hey, I'm just putting every last dollar, right? Any disposable income that I have, it's, it's, I'm just going to put it towards the mortgage. Yeah, because you're not supposed to have a mortgage in retirement. Mm. Which... And they're not saving any money. Right. Right? So it's like, well, no, I want to get this mortgage paid off. And I'm like, well, you're putting extra thousands of dollars to the mortgage, right? And then, uh, this is always classic too, right? They refinance to a 15-year and then they target that 15-year to their retirement date. Right. And so they increase their payments substantially, right? And then they stop putting money into their 401k plans or any other, the Roths or any other types of savings. Well, no, I want this house paid off. Well, you know how hard it is to get that money out of the house right. once you retire unless, if you need capital? Unless you sell it or right. reverse mortgage, right? And, and that is the problem because you end up living in your home. This is a typical scenario. So husband and wife, they pay off their mortgage. They don't have enough savings. And then they got to live like paupers all the way throughout retirement. But their house is paid off. Their house is paid off and they don't want to sell their home because that's the home, right? And I understand that. And so then the kids basically got all their wealth when they passed away because they got the house. And guess what? They're going to sell it. Exactly. As soon as you die. <laughs> boom. First it's thing. gone. I mean, yeah. you, there might be one sibling that might shed a tear, but they're going to sell it. Yeah, and I get it. I understand not to be in debt in retirement. I know a lot of you are listening and saying, no, I'm that person. I want to be out of debt. Yes, I get it. But look at interest rates right now, 3%. Get your 30-year fixed. In, or you know, what, what can you get a 30-year right now? About under it's, 4 It's under 4%, sure. Lock that in and then pay the 15-year payment on a 30-year note. Right? You're going to pay a little bit more interest, but you're going to have more flexibility. Right. And if you don't have it fully paid off in retirement, go back to that 30-year payment because that's what you got, which is a lot lower payment, and you're going to be able to cover your expenses a lot better. So I've been doing this a couple of years, right? And so a couple of the strategies that we have implemented with some of our clients is that, yes, I want to have my house paid off, right? I would say, okay, well, instead of refinancing to a 15-year, why don't you just pay the 15-year, right? And so they do that refinance to a 30, right? Get a lower rate uh, of what they were currently paying and then just pay that 15-year note. But then it's like, all right, well, here, why don't you, instead of paying that 15-year note, why don't you pay the 30-year, right? But that additional that you're going to pay in the 15, why don't you put that into your investment account? Right. Keep saving into that investment account, right? And over the next 10 years. And so now they got this nice pile of money. 
And it's just like, okay, well, you know what? Congratulations, Alan. You have enough money to pay off your mortgage. Pay it off. Right? How many people do you think do that? Yeah, not many because they got the savings account that they can utilize right. for, for needs and, and retirement. Like, okay, well, here, I'm putting extra to the payment. Then they have $200,000 in cash. It's like, well, take the $200,000 in cash, pay off the mortgage. No way. I wouldn't want... Yeah, it, dude, that's crazy. The mortgage rates are so low. It, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, I really want to get this mortgage paid off. Well, then you have the cash. Pay off the mortgage. <laughs> right. Well, no, I'd rather pay an extra $1,000 a month to it. Well, no, you take that extra $1,000 and max out your 401k plan. Yeah. If I, you want the mortgage paid off, you have the cash paid off. Well, no, I want the tax deduction. <laughs> okay. I, I we're, give go, up. we're going in circles. I give so, up. Right. Do what you want to do. So I think, obviously, the best is if you can get your expenses under control, do both maximize your retirement plan first. And then if you want to pay a little extra on the mortgage, go for it if that's what you want to do. I don't have any problem with that. And Joe, I actually signed up, I, this was several years ago, I got a 15 year mortgage, really low rates. And a lot of times we'll tell people, even sometimes on the air, to get a 30 year. But the reason I did is because I'm already maxing my retirement accounts and I've got the income to cover the payment, and it's going to be paid off by the time I retire. Wow! Look so at how, the big wallet that, on Big Al. That's a that's a that's a CPA financial planner for you. Wow! I make a lot of money. I max out my plan. I can afford it. You can't. I don't think I said it that way. A little bit. That's what I heard. Anyway, here's another scary retirement move: thinking you can actually beat the market, beat the stock market. That's pretty difficult. It is. Even the professionals out there that have actively uh, invested mutual funds can't beat a non-traded index fund. Well, they, they can. It's not that they can't. Well, let me, put, let me say it differently. The probability, the probability of them continuing the, to do it time after time yes, is challenging. Yes. In fact, when you look at five years, Joe, in most cases, most asset classes, the, the, act, the active managers, the professionals that are buying and selling securities, it's anywhere between... It's they're they're not beating the market sixty percent, seventy percent, eighty percent sometimes, in some cases even ninety percent of the time. In other words, they're they're more than half are actually not beating the market. That's the point. Yes, but it's a uh, here's the deal. It's like this whole active versus passive and passive versus active and fees and cost and everything else. I think the biggest problem that we have is that most people haven't saved anything. So I don't care if you're in a, a fund that's active or passive or whatever, right? If it beat the market or not beat the market, this is a funny statistic. And I heard this, and don't quote me on it, this is um, hypothetically. <laughs> but um, there was a study that was done, and they looked at from 2000 to 2010, right? You know, the S&P 500 was down about 9% over that 10-year time period. And one of the top performing mutual funds, right, over that time period was up something like 18%, okay? okay. So they were like, wow, look at this mutual fund that was up 18% over that time period. But then, you know, like Morningstar, you could dive in. If, if Morningstar is a company um, in the Midwest, and they analyze um, different investments. And probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with Morningstar. But what they, what they can do is they, they can find out what the investor's return is. There's two different things. There's the investment, right? That's the mutual fund itself. But the investors, you and I. And so they looked, and most investors, the majority of the investors lost money over that 10-year time period investing in that fund when the fund was up 18% over that 10-year period. Isn't that interesting? So they, they got scared and they got in and out of the So they got times. in and they, they were day trading the fund, right? Over that 10-year period, if they would have just stayed in, they would have been 18%. Even though the Standard & Poor's 500 was down 9, most investors that were in that fund lost money because when the market took a you know, swan dive, what they do? They sell. But the, So they, they missed the big run up. 
And then they bought back in. It was like, oh, I shouldn't have sold. And then they bought and sold, bought and sold. It's the same story. So it's like, hey, we're not saving nearly enough. And then our emotions get the best of us all the time, right? Or most of the time. Instead of saying, okay, well, here, my, Al, your mutual fund has 0.25% fees and mine is 0.1%. Right? Well, Al's saving a lot more money than I am. So he can pay those extra fees. Right? The next he's maxing out his 401k. He's got a 15-year mortgage. He's making tons of money. Where the hell's my paycheck? Yeah, what's up with you, Joe? I don't know. Seven, I, I, I got like a 60-year mortgage. Seven Because I can't afford the 30. Seven. Seven scariest retirement moves. Another here's what this is. This is like right out of our show. N- no tax diversification, and so that means you've got all your assets in your retirement accounts. And so when you create a retirement income stream, it's all taxed at ordinary income. And here's the problem: is taxes don't stop when your paycheck does. In fact, when you start tapping your retirement nest egg, it comes with all sorts of new rules and opportunities. Instead of contributing to tax-deferred plans that reduce your taxes, you'll start tapping those savings for income and paying taxes at your regular rate. 